I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up, and hast not made my soul to give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. All the way back up to verse 1. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up, and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. We're going to preach to you tonight with the help of the Lord on the upward way. The upward way. Let us pray. We could have Reverend Grove, sir, please pray over our message and messenger tonight. Amen. You may be seated. We are looking forward. We have a, uh, our new series is going to kick off February 19th. It's a six-week series. It's called Facing Life's Greatest Challenges. And uh, we've been working on it for a while. We're excited about it. We want you to pray with us. And uh, also use this as an opportunity to reach out to your friends and family. Get them in the house of God. It'll be every Sunday morning. February 19th through March 26th, Facing Life's Greatest Challenges. If you follow our page on Facebook, make sure you, uh, you share that uh, announcement and uh, let all your friends know, let's have a good time in the Lord. Pastor Davis was the founder of our organization. He's now gone on to be with the Lord. But he had a quote he used to say. He said, easy street leads to rotten and the idea was that effort is needed to get to a better place. If you choose a path that is easy, you will choose a path that will lead you to a rotten place. It's been shared that men and rivers become crooked by taking the path of least resistance. So if we want to be straight, if we want to grow strong, there is an upward journey. Usually when you think about an upward road, you're thinking about something positive. It's going to take us to a place that shows us greater vistas. It's going to take you to a mountaintop where you can see things you haven't seen before. But you also understand that the upward path requires effort. I think it was last summer, maybe the summer before, William and Miles and Micah and Xavier 
we took them to this path over on the Illinois side. And it's a path through the woods. And you begin to go through it. It's a beautiful day. Starts off kind of on the flatlands. But there's a gradual rise to it. And as you keep going up for maybe, I don't know, 45 minutes or so, I would say, climbing, 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 and, and sometimes you get around this corner and you're exposed to the full heat of the sun there, and you keep stepping up over these rocks and through the path, and, and uh, of course there's some uh, requisite whining that comes with it. Man, it's hot out here. Boy, this is kind of hard, and this is difficult. But when you finally get to the top, you are able to stand there and look out over the valley, and you can see all the way to the left and all the way to the right, and it's a, a beautiful vista that you get to enjoy because you did the hard work of climbing. This is what the psalmist is talking about. Twelve verses here tonight that he shares with us about the ups and downs of his life. Some things that he went through that you might think, well, that's not really a trial, but he shares it was. He dealt with enemies. He dealt with sickness. He was near to death. But then he shared he had become secure in himself. He said, I'm not going to be moved in my prosperity. And then he dealt with the withdrawal of God's face. Yet through it all, he said, thou hast lifted me up. Thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. He was sharing it was an upward journey. It was an upward path. Though it may be difficult, it was for his good. The Christian way is always an upward way. Christians are like airplanes. We must continue to be forward and upward to stay in the air. When you lose your forward progress, you fall out of the ground. You must have that attitude, which is actually the term they use for the angle of a plane. It's called its attitude. We must have an attitude that's aimed upward, and we must have a force behind us that's pushing us forward. But it takes a lot of thrust, a lot of effort for that to happen. And it takes a lot of thrust and effort for that to happen in the Christian life too. The downward way, though easy for a moment, doesn't yield the fruit we are after. Everyone likes if you're out jogging and you finally get, you crest the, the top of the hill and you look beyond, you say, oh, thank God, I get to go downhill for a while. But if you think about it, if you go downhill long enough, you know that you're going to have to go back up again. And so you may enjoy it for a moment, but you understand there is an uphill that I'm going to have to pay for it. And so let's dive in. The psalmist said, thou hast lifted me up and not made my foes to rejoice over me. Even though he was a servant of God, he had an enemy that he had to face. And one of the mistakes that sometimes new Christians make is that once they get saved, they think there will be no enemies. Well, of course, now I've got God on my side and I'm on God's side. So everything's going to be smooth, but that's not it at all. Both Christians and sinners face difficulties and troubles and trials. We have mountaintops and valleys. The difference for the Christian is we've got somebody to go through these mountaintops and valleys with us. And so he said, you have lifted me up. If he lifted him up, it must have meant that he was there with him. When you read through Joseph in the, in the book of Genesis, you'll find that when he was in the pit, the Bible said the Lord was with him. When he was in the prison, the Bible said the Lord was with him. You find 
did not let him go through the trials and difficulties alone. And so one of the great things about this particular psalm and this particular psalmist is he gives us the thanksgiving afterwards. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Because sometimes we go through the battle, we're praying, God, help me get through the battle. I can't stand it. This thing is awful. It's horrible. God, you got to help me. And then when we get out of it, sometimes our earnestness isn't the same degree as it was when we were in it. Our thankfulness isn't as loud as our complaint was when we were in the battle. And yet the psalmist here, after he gets through it, he writes this psalm. And he said, I'm going to lift you up, God. Why? Because you lifted me up. You didn't let my enemies rejoice over me. When I was in the battle, you were in it with me. You did not let me be overcome by those who were coming against me. Thou hast not made my foes to rejoice over me, O Lord my God. And then he says this, I cried unto thee and thou hast healed me. So now we find that the psalmist had faced physical illness. There's something about being sick. I don't like it, but it sure makes me appreciate my health. There's nothing like going through some sickness and illness which makes you appreciate when you don't have any pain. When you're not dealing with uh, a cough or a, a tight chest or a headache or whatever it might be. And it's something about it. And so the psalmist said, Lord, I cried unto thee and thou hast healed me. What he was saying was in his sickness, he was so in pain and so dealing with things that he began to cry unto God. And God brought him out of the sickness. He goes again and said, Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Seemingly his sickness brought him to the very place, the very brink of death. And yet there at the very brink of death, he said, you brought me up. You didn't let me go down, but you brought me up out of the pit. He was thankful and he was gracious and uh, grateful rather. Grateful to what God had done. And so he begins to encourage everybody else. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his. Give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. He says there ought to be times that we just step back and say, God, I just want to sing to you. I'm not going to come to you and ask for something. I'm not going to come to you and complain about this thing going on or that thing going on. I'm on this upward way. And I know on this upward way, sometimes i got to lift up my hands though they feel better hanging down. I know i got to lift up my voice though I might prefer to stay silent. I've got to overcome the inertia that's pulling me backwards and use that effort to strive forward. Why? Because I'm on the upward way. I'm climbing new heights every day. I'm not going to allow myself to be pulled down into bitterness or resentment. I'm not going to let myself be pulled down into what this world is and how it acts and how it thinks. I've got to be different. And so he says, sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his. There's something about a song. Song, music is a gift from God. It's very powerful because it affects all three parts of man, body, soul, and spirit. Both a rhythm, lyrics, and a melody affects all three parts of man. And so a sad song can get you crying in your root beer. And an angry song can make you get up and want to go out and bang someone's head. And a sensual song can get you in a romantic or a, a sexual mood. And so the devil uses that tool and he uses it to get people to go the wrong way. But God is not saying don't use music. Rather, he's saying let's use it to, for the right way. Let's sing to God. I wish you'd come help me tonight. 
He said, sing unto the Lord, O ye saints. Give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. And then he says this, for his anger endureth but a moment. That means the psalmist experienced the anger of God. That means there was a time where he was underneath that wrath of God. We understood his sin had a penalty. Still with me tonight? Sometimes we think that God is such a gracious and merciful God that there is no penalty for sin. Sometimes it seems, I read a statistic today, it was talking about what people believe about hell. And uh, there are those that believe there is a hell, but it's just, uh, it's in their mind, it's lost its idea of torment. It's lost its idea of literal flames and gnashing of teeth. But there is a literal hell. And there is a place of wrath. I don't want to be there. God doesn't want you to be there. But to get out of that, we must acknowledge that we've sinned. Turn to God and receive his forgiveness that he's provided for us. He said his anger endureth but a moment and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Christians are not immune to the sorrow, the sadness, the difficulty. We don't get a pass on the trials of life, nor do we get uh, a constant vacation from the bad weather spiritually that comes our way. So he says, there may be weeping, and it may endure for a night, but there is an end to the weeping. There is an end to the tears. And here's where I really want to maybe stop for a moment. He said this, and in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. He got so blessed. Things were going so well for him. The bills were paid. Food was in the fridge. He had a couple vehicles. Family was all doing well. And he said, man, look at this. I'm so blessed, I'm never going to be moved. And it seemed as if for a moment he forgot that it all came from God. And so, listen as he goes on. He said, Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. And then it says, thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. God has a way of getting our attention. In our prosperity to turn from us for a moment. To make us seek after him all the more. And now suddenly, though he had the money and things were going good, he didn't have the presence of God. And he could say like Jesus in the New Testament, what would it profit me if I gained the whole world and lose my soul? He said, you hid your face and I was troubled. What did he do about it? Some people just go on in the darkness. Some people just go on in the, in the contention and the bitterness and the emptiness. But the psalmist said, I can't do that. I've known God. He's been too good to me. And so it said he did something about it. What did he do? He said, I cried to thee, O Lord. And unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? I began to present my case. God, remember, I'm one that will praise you. And if I die, the dust can't praise you anymore. What would profit, profit if I end up going down to the pit? He began to cry unto God. You know, there is, a, a, there is a possibility for us to change our spiritual circumstance. 
You don't have to put up with a mediocre relationship. You don't have to allow just a half-hearted walk with God. You can cry unto God and get as close to God as you want to. The sad thing is when God pulls his presence, we don't even know. We don't even sense it anymore. Like Samson of old, we wake up. Our spiritual hair has been chopped. And the Lord has left us and we don't even realize it. The psalmist knew something's not right. Come on, sometimes you know it. You wake up in the morning, maybe you went to bed angry at your wife or angry at your husband. You're harboring something on the inside. It just breaks that relationship with God. And we can just keep on going that way and some people do that way for the rest of their life. They get busy with things so they don't think about that little voice that's talking to them. Some people try to drink away the conviction or, or uh, uh, entertain away the conviction, always watching something, looking at something so that they don't have time to think about what God is trying to say to them. But once the psalmist recognized that God wasn't there, he cried unto thee. Brother, sister, we can't go on without the presence of God. We can't go on with just lukewarmness. We can't allow half-heartedness, not in our life, not in our church, not in our Sunday schools, not in our singing, not in our worship. We've got to cry unto God and say, God, restore unto us the joy of thy salvation. God, give us that reality again. Lord, I don't want to be just lukewarm or cold or dead in my soul. Others may. Sometimes that's the, that's the pressure we feel. Watchman Nee said, when some Christian, when most Christians get to a normal temperature, others think they have a fever. When most people start to get to where they uh, uh, have a warmth toward God, others say, man, he's way off the deep end. She has gone off the cliff. See, when I go down to the pit, shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. He wanted to do something about it. That's what encourages me, I know. If I feel distant from God, like that fella, he was driving along in his pickup truck, that bent seat. Wife looked over at him and said, Don't you remember when we first got married? That we would sit close together, each one of us. Now you're over there and I'm over here. And he looked at her and said, Who moved? He was driving, so he had to be in the same place. And so if you find yourself distant, you got to ask the question, Who moved? God still loves you. Come on home. Come on closer to him. He said, here, O Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Because God is the only one sometimes that knows exactly how to heal the situation. We sense the tension. We sense the discombobulation in our soul. We sense the lack of peace. But if I can just get to God begin to lift up my hands. God, you know what's going on. Help me. That's what he did. God, you know what's happening. Help me. 
God, give me wisdom. God, show me the direction. God, help me. I don't want to be this way. I don't want to be in this, in this, this sense of being distracted or, or distant from you. I want to be close again. And he said, thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. Sackcloth was the clothes that you put on when you were mourning. Maybe somebody died, things were going wrong. And so you took off the comfortable clothes and you put on the, 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 um, the heavy weave that didn't feel comfortable. It was to remind you that something's not right. But as the psalmist had taken off his comfortable clothes and put on the mourning clothes and he cried unto God and, and he reached out to him, then God said, hey, wait a second, I hear you. And he took off his weeping clothes and put on clothes of rejoicing. He took, off, took away the tears and gave him joy. He said, to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. Oh, Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. There is something that amputees experience. It's a sensation that they call a phantom limb. Where even when the leg is cut off, they feel pain in their toes or in their, uh, in their knee. Or if an arm is cut off, they can feel pain in their hand. Invisible toes curl, imaginary hands grasp a thing. Sometimes a leg feels so sturdy, even though it's not there, that a patient will try to stand on it. And the doctors have to stand by there and watch as this plays out. Because the pain has been so etched in their mind that sometimes even when the leg is gone, they still feel it up here. There was a guy. He was a medical school administrator. His name was Mr. Barwick. He had a serious and painful circulation problem in his leg, but he didn't want them to amputate it. As the pain grew worse, he grew bitter. I hate it. I hate it. He would mutter about the leg. At last, he couldn't stand anymore, and he told the doctor, I can't stand it. I'm through with that leg. Take it off. Surgery was scheduled immediately. Before the operation, Barwick said to the doctor, what do you do with the leg once you cut it off? He said, well, we may take a biopsy, explore it a bit, but afterwards we incinerate them. He said, would you let me preserve that leg, put it in a pickling jar. I want to put it on my mantle shelf. Then as I sit in my armchair, I will taunt that leg, ha, you can't hurt me anymore. So the doctor gave him his wish. But the leg had the last laugh. For Barwick suffered the phantom's pain to the worst degree. The wound had healed so he could still feel this pressure and the swelling and the muscle cramping. He had no prospect of relief. Though he had hated the leg with such intensity, the pain became permanently lodged in his brain. Just think about that sometimes. 
Sometimes people have, have grown to have something that becomes so lodged in their brain, even when the situation is removed, they still feel that pain. How about this? Sometimes people have experienced a sin in their past. And though God has forgiven them, the devil holds it over their head and they feel a phantom guilt over something that God has already forgiven them and washed away. You see, it's up to you. I've got to come to the place, words similar to this in 1 John. He said, if, I'm paraphrasing, if our conscience condemn us, God is greater. If my heart condemns me, God's greater than my heart. He was saying that though my mind may tell me, if I've already con, con, uh, confessed that sin and I've already uh, told God forgive me and take it out of my life, and I've believed him to do it, God's taken it out. Sometimes the devil himself wants to reapply the guilt. And he says, God's greater than that. He already took it away. You don't have to keep reinstalling that same guilt and asking to be forgiven again and again and again and again. Come on, musicians, get ready. Otherwise, we're like Mr. Barwick, shaking a fist at a pickled leg, feeling pain from something that's no longer there. There's an upward way, but to go to that next mountaintop, it's going to take some effort. We're going to have to push away the guilt the enemy tries to put on us. We're going to have to cry out to God when we sense a distance from him. We'll have to trust him in the middle of our battle. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. Where do you find yourself tonight? And maybe tonight you find yourself closer to Jesus than ever before. I hope so. That would be my desire. But if you find yourself distant, empty, maybe the enemy, maybe yourself, maybe the devil has tried to bring back the guilt and condemnation from things in the past, some that's happened 20 years ago. 30 years ago, why don't you understand today, you repent of it, God takes it away and makes it free. And if you find yourself distant, cry unto God and say, God, tonight I want to come home. I'm not going to allow myself to be separated from you anymore for this bitterness to eat at me can't shake my fist in fury at the thing that's made me so upset, I've got to surrender. Father, I thank you for hearing our prayer tonight. I thank you for bringing each one to this message, this moment, Psalm 30, the psalmist walking us through what he went through because we've gone through the same thing. Now, God, I pray that you would help us just like you helped him. And God, we give you thanks.